Welcome to episode 53 of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and with me as always is Matt Leach. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Yeah. It feels like a while since we actually sat down and did this. It's been a while. Yep. Yep. Because yep. we kind of, we did Nick a little bit earlier and then and that only went out a couple of weeks ago and... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What's, so what's happening? Well, we're recording in a new space. So actually in WeWork, which is um, in Piedmont, which is where I'm working from. Which is super impressive. Yeah, it's a cool space. I think when you told me you were, you were there, I was like, oh, that'd be good for, to meet people. But like actually just walking around here and I don't want to give them too many props, but like it just feels pretty inspirational. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. a nice change of pace, yeah. you know, and I'm learning about Piedmont, which I never go to otherwise because I don't gamble. So um, favorite lunch place in Piedmont? There's like a Vietnamese takeaway shop that just does takeaway um french vietnamese chicken (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, seafood um no it's just like a cheap salad sandwich sort of thing and i've had it i think just about every day since i've been here i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it on air but i've got to tell you about i've been brewing kombucha and it's awesome i don't know what that is it's it's, you're literally saying this on air oh well yeah it's freaking weird, but it's awesome. Hey, look, we should talk about who we've actually got on. We should. So our guest this episode is Managing Director of Born and Raised, which is a self-described boutique creative agency. But if you look at some of their clients, well, it looks like one of the big players. They've got AMP Capital, Starlight Foundation. They do Study Group and KVB and Cancer Council of Australia. So we'd like to welcome Chris Laws to the program. Hello. Good to be here. So when you're at Moon, I think I read the press release where you're actually becoming being moved up i guess and you said there that it was an interesting time at moon because it was going through a massive growth period and so were you Mm -hmm. what did you mean by that i don't remember saying that that (laughs) That was a misquote it's it's in the press release (laughs) it it has been a long time but uh i started at moon when it was 30 people um and it was very much a a design business with a bit of a toe in the water into campaigns and retail creative and that type of thing. Um, we grew to over 100, well, I think we got to over 120 people. So that all happened in a space of about four or five years. That's and crazy, isn't it? If you think about it. That's yeah. And so I started there as an account director. Uh, and that's literally, I just want to, I just want to pause there for a second because that's literally uh, almost every week someone new is starting. So it's like, who's that? Who's that? Who's yeah, that? Yeah, well, it was <laughs> it was pretty stable for the first couple of years. I mean, it definitely grew and it grew reasonably, but there was a period where we won some massive bits of global business where we literally couldn't hire people fast enough. Wow. And it was actually one of the real challenges of growing was trying to get good people fast. And, mm. you know, it's actually really hard to find a really, really strong caliber of talent in a, in a hurry and make sure that you're across the board keeping that keeping that level of quality were you forced to go outside of australia as well uh in seeking that talent Mm. uh we didn't really need to um i think there was probably certain moments in time where we we did but generally speaking no it was very Mm. much around um finding people locally and that was a pretty big hotbed of talent at the time i look I think anyone that worked at Moon through that period, um, I still get together with those, you know, some of those Moon people. And to this day, I think we'd all consider it probably the best time of our lives, you know, an amazing culture, um, a a place that really put focus on a great family environment, but also a place where everyone was really humble, but also epically talented. Um, You know, there was the likes of, you know, Mark Moffat, Carby Tuckwell, Chris Doyle, 
Linda Yukic, um, my wife Janaya, who I still love working with. So you actually met her? Yeah, I did. Yeah, at yeah, work. Yeah, I did. So office uh, romance. Yeah, um, <laughs> never fish off the company pier. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it was something. Something I think we both didn't want to do on one level, but um, hey, these things happen. And in fact, I think there was something. There's been something like ten moon marriages or you know a bunch of babies because because the culture wonderful honeymoons yeah well well, the culture was so tight and they hired on they hired on attitude and style of person as much as they did or we did um talent and and quite often it was about fostering talent to make it great that wasn't always necessarily in the book from the start so um yeah it was an amazing time um we started you know at at a reasonable size and we got to pitch on global business and win global business and for me, all through that was uh, was a growth period of, of of learning how to deal with bigger business and pitch on bigger business, and you know made a lot of mistakes along the way and all of that sort of stuff. And it was a kind of real world MBA for all of us in many respects mm. as that business business grew and we, you know, we went up and we went back down. Um, but uh, you know, overall, an amazing moment in time uh, or period in time, and great work with with some of my favourite people in the world. Mm. So before we get into, because I really want to talk about how Born and Raised then began, but if we look back at your history, you studied marketing. Yeah, so um, it's in, it, for me it's interesting and, and I, you know, as Flynn will know from us working together in the education space, I love giving my time to students in part because I was once a really shit scared young person <laughs> that actually didn't really believe in myself. Right. And, uh, my choice to do marketing in hindsight was me not believing in myself. I went to a school called James Roos, who you might have, which you might have heard of, which gets the top results in the state. It's an academic high school. It's all about becoming doctors and lawyers and all of that sort of stuff. So mm. when I came along and said, I, well, I started off, I wanted to do architecture. And then in my last couple of years, had a real passion for design and actually did work experience at a couple of graphic design studios and had a passion for advertising when i started voicing those interests and ambitions i was quickly shut down and i probably wasn't shut down that hard but i just didn't believe in myself enough that i just bought it that i needed a business degree to fall back on yeah so who were you shut down by um school advisors and those yeah. sorts of things who just really didn't when you look back that's so school advisors clueless man like yeah. so yeah. clueless yeah. And, and you know I, re- I, I distinctly remember we like had one of those demountable classrooms for careers where they have a stack of cards on the wall and I think there was graphic designer slash graphic artist and maybe a copywriter on the wall and that was the sum total of creative industry jobs that were up on the wall in a right. career advisor's room back then so yeah. no one really you know, had a clue on what was out there. I, see, and I mean, and it, I kind of feel for them though, because the industry moves so quickly. I completely mean, I, I remember cards on, on my career advisors wall, and I don't think there was a graphic designer up there. I think there was an advertiser right. and a furniture maker. Right. And that, that was kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel for them because like, how, how are they keeping on top of UX and definitely, um, you know, oh. app development. They could, yeah, yeah. No, that's impossible. And it's yeah. a whole, but and like, all the other industries. And, and it's, but let's, let's face it, it's a broader topic that's not just at school, right? right it's yeah. about institutionalized educators that, yes. that aren't connected to the industry, which yes. is a whole other thing. Maybe, <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll get stuck into a little bit of that. I wouldn't uh, get stuck into that. But anyway, long story short, I um, I went and studied marketing. Really enjoyed it, and I'm glad I did that. Um, and it gave me a really, really strong sense of business and 
brands and you know taking it from a, from that angle i ended ended up graduating and applying for a bunch of jobs in the marketing field and um, ended up getting a, a, a basically a graduate position with the commonwealth bank of australia in their head office that was you know heaps of people applied for this job and i really didn't want it but i kind of went for it because i felt like i should <laughs> um got it and then decided i should actually go for it and do it yeah. and uh within a week of being there i got offered a job in a small design studio and uh i i resigned from commonwealth bank that day and they were furious <laughs> but um you know i just i just I knew that creative industry was where i where i wanted yeah. to be so i went and started this design studio that was very focused on retail and catalogs and not the cool end of town or anything like that but it was a small place where i got to i suppose cut my teeth from an account service point of view i got on really well with creatives and could help could naturally have those conversations i found from the outset and it's started me on my way but i got three or four years in and uh i was really frustrated because i really wished i was on the other side of the desk and and designing and doing mm. those things and really regretted that i hadn't backed myself more earlier yeah. earlier in time so i went and studied at shillington college part-time out of hours to as much as anything i think proved to myself that i could have could have done it which i did quite well um i was really pleased with where i got to and i think in part i was thinking in my head i could if i can study design i've already got the the project management and account service yeah. side things yeah. happening one day i could start my own business and that's always mm. been an ambition of mine anyway did that and um what i felt was missing from that was a stronger sense of ideas it was all about okay. aesthetic it was it was a good good design course for what it was um, and, you know, definitely recommend it. But what was missing, I suppose, was that understanding of a bigger idea. And uh, that's what I loved about advertising. And so mm. this this was the... Because they, they do like a three-month course, yeah? They do a three-month full-time or right. it was 12-month part-time. Okay. And yeah. you, you obviously did a part-time. Yeah, that's right. Did it's like a cert for kind of level. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But m the majority of the people, which I think is important to note, are working professionals such as yourself yeah. who were you know there's a big difference between kind and of the thing that's really interesting because there's a there's a need there there's so a passion for it you're paying for it you're going it. after work yeah, you're hungry yeah, yeah exactly and you know it's certainly not it's not a degree qualification it's not that mm. level of design yeah. and by no means you know the guys in the studio will talk about you know typography theory and all of that sort of stuff and i wouldn't have a clue and i don't pretend to mm. um nor do i think i really need to to mm. do what i do but I do have, a, I suppose I have an aesthetic and a sense of design that helps me in, in what I do. And that, yeah. that was part of it. Mm. And anyway, I, I applied for award school the year later. Still working at that original design studio that I'd been at. Did, did, did they know you were doing all this? Yeah, well, they actually hours? supported me. Oh, great. Uh, so I think they paid in part for the, wow. the Shillington course and they definitely paid for award school. And uh, <laughs> anyway, they actually, and, and I got involved with some creative stuff within that studio as a result too. Mm. Um, but uh, anyway, I did award school and it was the best 12 weeks of my life. I've, I, anyone that asks me about it, I'll say, if you can get in, it's well worth doing and that's not just creatives it's account service it's anyone that works in communication yeah. because what award school does is i don't know i don't know exactly what the the format is now but it used to be 12 briefs over 12 weeks you had to crack each brief and if you didn't your work would mount up and you'd have to get to the end and you could be working on six briefs you haven't cracked yeah and have two weeks to finalize your book 
Uh, and what it taught me was um, the importance of a single-minded idea, the importance of a single-minded brief. Um, you know, not mm. asking a creative to solve five things in one piece of communication, but to zero in on what really matters. I to- love the fact that you were thinking about while you're doing the creative, you're also thinking about how you would talk to creatives. Definitely. I think that I was definitely coming. And I think for the first six weeks, I was limiting myself somewhat because I was applying logic and um, (laughs) ground rules to what I was doing. In the last six weeks, I kind of let go of that stuff. And that's when I started to really kick Mm. on. And so anyway, I I did this and what it led, what it gave me at the time, and I didn't necessarily realize was a, an ability to I suppose, empathize with, with the creative teams even more. Yeah. It meant I could write a better brief because I understood the importance of, of clarity. Um, you know, there's the old saying that, um, you know, give me the freedom of a, of a tight brief or something along those lines. Yeah. The Ogilvy guys. And that I think is something that, you know, stuck with me and you know, the difference between a piece of outdoor where you've got one thing to say in about three seconds versus a radio script versus all of those sorts of things. If you're yeah. a, an account service person that understands the differences of those things, then you start to support the creative team better because you're challenging a client on what can work and what can't. You're educating them on how things should work and yeah. you're, you're just bringing that, I suppose, that creative lens to, to what you do and, and building that bridge between client and creative solution to a place where you can negotiate a better outcome for everyone. So you must have been a bit of a funny fish, I guess, for Moon, like taking you on in one respect, but also you were able to do a bunch of different things as well. I think there's definitely that challenge, but in fact, that's what um, led me to Moon. So we, as a result of awards school, I was um, placed in the mentor program. I got into the top. So I you just, got up on the wall, I think they used to say, I didn't did. They? I got up on the wall three times. <laughs> up on the wall at the pub, yeah. I've, I've heard. Yeah. Um, but I just missed out on the top 10. And I got placed in the next 10 or 20 that get placed with a mentor. And I was placed with this guy named Eugene Rea, who ran a small agency called Kennedy Rea. And basically, they were very similar to where Moon is and where I'm going, um, which was a branding consultancy that was really good at brand identity but also campaign communications so they yep. effectively started upstream with the you know with the the senior yep. business leaders to define the brand but saw it through mm. and that's really the model i suppose that that moon was building and uh anyway i got placed with with eugene rea within two weeks he said every time we get together all we talk about is talking shop you're asking me about my business how you're growing it how what's your strategic model it's like are you sure you want to be a creative Mm. he said Ah. he said you could be a really good creative but you're gonna have to work really hard at it you're a long way behind the eight ball in terms of age i was about 27 by then and you've got guys that came straight out of school going for it and i just got the impression he thought i'd be solid but not epic and uh Anyway, he said, he said something that stuck with me and I suppose gave me permission to be the person I am today. And uh, he said, you could be a solid creative, but actually what's missing in the world, and there's very few people out there, is an account service lead that really understands creative and can mm-hmm. communicate creative and drive a creative product. And all of a sudden, instead of me thinking, I'm just an account service guy that's being paid to be a good bloke and operate on logic... I sort of had a purpose yep, yep. from that point onwards. And hmm. anyway, long story short, that place um, shut its doors after a year. The two partners decided to go separate ways. And 
Kieran Brazil, who's a recruiter in the um, the design industry, I, I met with him and he he met me straight away and he said, "Have you thought about Moon?" I'm like, "I fucking love Moon." Um, <laughs> and he basically said, "Look, I I actually but back to that, I'd actually approached them directly and." It had gone nowhere. Um, the the client services director was away and just wasn't happening. So yep. I was pretty bummed about that, but was moving on with things. And uh, he said, he said they've just hired someone onto the Qantas account literally yesterday. So your timing sucks, but I'm going to get you a meeting with Stu O'Brien, who's the managing director, and Anouk Darling, who's the GM, because um, I think they'll, I think you guys will get along. Anyway, we met, and um, what the reason that. Kieran put me forward was because Stu wanted people that understood adver- advertising as well as design and branding, mm. and he wanted, in his own words, creative suits. So I owe a hell of a lot to Stu because creative suits. Yeah, yeah because in fact, what I was and that sort of weird. Is this what you're wearing now? The creative suit. The <laughs> I suppose it is. Denim. <laughs> I, I never wear suits. I hate it. Creative on the top, business on the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so anyway, Stu was looking for people like me, which was really lucky because up until then, I did feel like a fish out of water, mm. I suppose, in many respects. And, you know, we live in an, in an industry as creative as it is that likes to put people in boxes. Mm. And uh, sure. I've, 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 ch- yeah. I've been challenged by that all my career. The great thing about Moon was that I was al- almost able to grow with the business and and I suppose play to my strengths through that and and help shape the business in a way that worked for me Mm. um so in fact moon really welcomed what i was and um i think it did better than most in that respect of of welcoming people that didn't necessarily fit the mold um but they could see see people that could contribute to their solutions Mm. i want to talk about born and raised now because that's obviously the next step in your career where you're now welcoming the creative suits and yes and all, all the different sort of uh fish out of waters i guess um so how did it how did it start so brad and i uh so brad stevens who's my creative director and and partner and absolute legend uh we've known each other since moon days and uh he was he'd been at landor in paris he's best mates with jason little so he was at landor in paris with jason and then went to re um where he did some good stuff with jason as well and he was out on his own. Um, I was in a position where I needed to be out on my own. And uh, we came together and we just really wanted to work together. At that time, I knew Brad back from Moon as a really chilled out, good guy with a great aesthetic. What I didn't know, even when we started, was just what a great talent he is. And he's become this amazing creative director that leads teams really well make sure that everything we do has a really, really strong, clean, simple idea at the heart of it and has an amazing process for getting to solutions quickly and and empowering the whole team. So we came together. Um, One of the other reasons that I knew Brad would be great was because he is a chilled out Kiwi, as is my wife, and they work (laughs) together and get on really well. And I always wanted Janaya to be part of whatever solution we move forward with. Yeah. We've always wanted to be in business together. She was off having our daughter um, and was just coming back into, I suppose, um, back into work after a couple of years off. So the three of us kind of got together and talked about what we wanted to be. Janaya actually came up with the, the name. Um, oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, I, I think she was standing over the kitchen sink and blurted it out and I was like, hmm. Looking at the kid. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, uh, born born and raised. raised. There we go, yeah. And... Uh, 
Anyway, we none of us were in a financial position to really be able to just go, right, we're doing this. We needed mm. to find a home. And um, pleasingly for me, we had a few people circling around us. And uh, one person that we were talking to is a good old friend of mine who runs a digital agency and has for a number of years who has been a bit of a mentor to me over many years. And his name's Chris Harris. And he runs a small but very sort of technically capable e-commerce style digital agency e-commerce style what does that mean <laughs> does that, what does that mean i don't know it's just <laughs> me clearly not being that digital isn't it <laughs> um so anyway chris and i both have always respected each other and uh i think in each other we saw an opportunity um he's developing massive website builds and you know dealing with people's um brand and content that doesn't necessarily fit a new platform so you know he's got people walking in and going okay awesome we want to you know we want to spend quarter of a million dollars on a website on, on a full you know digital digital transformation within our business and he'll look at them and go well you know what do you stand for and and what does your brand look like and how mm-hmm. does it communicate and right. these guys are like oh well you know we'll just go off the brand guideline and we sort of say it's like building a new house and putting your old furniture in it it's like that yeah. moment in time where you're <laughs> spending all this time and money to define a massive, massive touch point of your brand that should be, I suppose, in many respects, the purest expression of your brand because yep. mm. you can you can house as much content as richly and as long form as you like. Mm. Um, but people are th- not necessarily thinking about that moment in time as a, a chance to to make sure that the brand is absolutely humming. So, mm. so for him, there was an opportunity to to bolt on the brand piece to what they were doing, and for me we see the opportunity in being a, a, a brand-led business that that is more digitally savvy than than we yeah. would otherwise be if we were operating in a silo. So yeah. what it's allowed us to do is we all share space. Um, it means that workflow-wise, you know, if the guys are working with our branding systems and it feels like something's not working from a, from a mobile point of view or whatever it might be, they can literally roll their chair over to Brad who oversees the creative of their team as well. Mm. And we solve it there and then. So, oh, so he oversees the creative for the digital yeah, so guys Brad's, as well. Yeah, so Brad's, Brad works tightly with the Atlas um, creative team. Right. Um, I think the plan is that Atlas will have a creative director at some point, but for now, this, that's the structure. And yeah. uh, it's it's good. It means that we can, as I said earlier, set the vision and see it through mm. and, and make sure that there's a really cohesive brand experience across the board. Mm. And what it also is nice, what I like about it versus, say, the big end of town is that we're all specialists and we're all focusing on what we're good at and we're not trying to be generalists where we know everything and can pull in revenue yeah, across yeah, every, yeah. every aspect of a, of mm. a marketing director's um, you know, marketing budget. We're able to focus on brand and communications. Those guys are able to focus on digital. Together, we're a seamless solution. But in isolation, we stick to our knitting and can be as best as possible at it, which I think is really important. So you think it's important to be a specialist? At the size we're operating at, um, where we are dealing with a lot of small to medium enterprise business, having a couple of specialists sitting at the table that can cover all your needs is a really, really good solution. Mm, Cool. It's a tough one because... Literally today, I was talking um, about students, and and we're we're kind of introducing them to emerging tech, and you know, there's so much sort of stuff going on VR, AR, um, yeah, 
you know, AI, any other acronyms you can come up with. Um, and just they're getting, the students are getting quite stressed about it because they're like, well... How do I keep up? Yeah, do I need to be across it all? Or yeah. do I pick, to pick one? Yeah. And, and it's tough because... <laughs> Your answer is, I don't know. Yeah, we, <laughs> I'm trying to work that out. Yeah. But just the whole... Cause, get cause back the, to you. There, there will be jobs for generalists. Yeah, sure. But there will be maybe more so jobs for people who really know... I think, One area. and it's a good point. I mean, I've I've battled with being a generalist in my own head for for a long time. What it doesn't afford me is the chance to go and become a consultant and work from my studio and my you know place in Byron Bay anytime yeah. soon. You know, it's, <laughs> I, it's know, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my my role means that I am very very heavily focused on being in front of clients and dealing with teams and hmm. managing the overall picture. And uh, I think it would be nice to be able to just say, okay, I'm just a strategist and focus in on that and be a gun for hire and say, hey, I'm I'm only in Sydney three days a week, so work around me. Um, I'm going to strategize my yeah. ass off on those three days. <laughs> yeah, strategy the I'm, shit I'm, out of and it. And then I'm going to be at the beach. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the next horizon down the line. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, that generalization... Chris Law's consultant. <laughs> but, you know, even at Moon, I think I, I think it was difficult to pin exactly where I should sit. I mean, I was client mm. service director. I was general manager and general manager is the title in agencies that they give you when they're like okay what do we do with this person <laughs> um it's true they, they're like okay um when i first met you i was like oh this guy's this guy's serious business so <laughs> yeah there you it, go um, yeah. just shows how young and naive you were exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it, like you in in that case we had anuk at the top who was ceo anuk darling who's a, an incredible lady um, you had me as client services director and Anouk wanting to give me more challenge and opportunity. So you get this title of general manager. And what does that even mean? Uh, and it's pretty what, close to generalist, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what it does also, he do? He kind of generally just manages things. Yeah, a bit yeah. of this, a bit of that. And in my case, it was uh, um, in, it sort of changed over time, but was overseeing client service. So that means delivery of projects. But I was also heavily leading our growth and um mm. with the nuke and that was that meant leading our pitches and chasing mm. new business yeah so i had this dual role of securing new business as well as making sure that the clients were happy and to be honest when you're That's spread like the, right at the beginning things, and right at the end yeah yes. and and to be this i suppose gets to the point about being a specialist or a generalist i kind of realized where my mm. strengths were and my passions were and stop trying to be all things to all people so even mm. though i'm a generalist now i know what my strengths are yeah. and i know what my weaknesses are and um you you get to an age where you go right okay well they're the things i'm going to focus on and unapologetically be good at and you know n not worry if i'm not, not yeah. you know nailing it on every level yeah so do you think there's something a student can do or should do um, uh. early on I, no, no, no. I, I don't. I think a student needs to work out who they are. It's like you as a person. I think you you spend your early, early even to late 20s working out who the hell you are. And mm. I think there's a point in your late 20s where it all comes to play. That was certainly my experience. And I think it, it's foolish to to sort of, you know, focus in on something unless it, you absolutely know. I think that's awesome. If you do know and you can go and run hard at the horizon in a certain yeah. direction because you know that's what you're meant to do. I'm so jealous of those people. Oh, they suck. But, um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think that it's important to explore 
mm. your you know your general frame of reference before you do focus in on on something to make sure that it's right um so i don't think you need to sweat on becoming a specialist overnight i think you can you can sound it out for a while yeah. i mean when i reference the the things that i'm great at and the things that i'm not great at i spent the first five years even more being really good at things like in a you know speaking about account service i think it's it's perceived i don't think it's got a great perception i think it's one of those things that it's not the aspirational gig in agency land or, or studio land it's the it's the support crew mm. when in fact a really really good account service person is a salesperson a strategist a project manager a financial yeah. manager a relationship manager they need to be spinning about five plates at any time and back in the early days i was trying to spin all of those plates um but there comes a time when I realized, for example, that my greatest capability was probably pitching and selling work and selling right. the dream to clients and getting them really pumped about stuff, building that relationship and almost being, I suppose, the, the front line and letting other people execute that and run it on time and be mm. detailed and all of those sorts of things. And I've become increasingly shit at detail and, and um you know but at the same time someone will pick that up young you've, man's got, game. you've got so many hours a day and you need to you yeah. need to work out what where are the things that you can be most effective at and for me to be doing timelines and worrying about um contact reports or anything like that clearly i'm past that point anyway but that's the stuff that doesn't even you know it's in my blind spot you know for me yeah. it's mm. it's about doing great work for clients it's about um you know working out how we can push our ideas as far as possible how we can make sure that our clients businesses are really successful and we're doing the right thing for them and that's that's really my focus so you've mentioned pitching and how important that is do you do you have any top tips uh i suppose the top tip is really well there's there's a bunch of top tips but i suppose to me a great pitch and it's really cliche people talk about taking you on a journey but <laughs> i think where's the narrative <laughs> exactly um one of the things you won't hear me talk about is storytelling i hate that but, but at the same time um oh someone who talks about that a lot was in the news that you showed me sorry i've completely derailed this but sagmaster yes yeah oh and i love God. his point of view on that that's exactly my point of view I yeah think okay I think that what we do is narrative um, and I, I think storytelling is a, d a distinct craft and I think for us to apply that to brands is, I don't know, I just find that disingenuous. Yeah. It is just, it is down to vernacular, but that's... that's do you think, do you think yeah. the clients come to expect it though? I think they expect what we're talking about mm -hmm. from us, but I don't, I just don't like labeling it storytelling. Sure. Um, I don't know. I just think it's... I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I hate it. I, well, I <laughs> there could be do, but. there could be some situations where you're trying to explain to you know like a junior or a first year students like well imagine this was a story how would you tell yeah it? and or I something there's probably certain situations where it makes sense but there's probably also a limit there's a roof on this thing right <laughs> well so I suppose that, yeah and I suppose I suppose the the story time was the CEOs. idea of a narrative <laughs> to me I feel more comfortable with and, okay. and the idea that there's a beginning a middle and an end and yep. I think that's absolutely yep. what you need to do with pitch mm. you've effectively got to draw a strategic line between their problem and the creative solution that you're putting sure. forward but it's not just a problem what you need to demonstrate is a complete understanding of their business you need to demonstrate that you are the right partner for them so you need to mm. empathize with their culture and and demonstrate through your own not just talk but actions that you are of that same ilk 
Um, mm. So there's a lot of things to pitching, but I think what I enjoy about it is that it is that challenge. I'm a competitive person, so I like that sense of competition as much as anything. But I just I love that when you're pitching, typically you're coming up with an idea for a brand yep. that could last three to five years. So mm. while other people are churning out executions versus against a brand idea or whatever you've come up with for years on end you're kind of getting in doing that cool bit and then pissing off and leaving it to someone else um but it's that it's that exciting thrill of of setting a new direction and solving problems in a hurry and that that thrill of coming together and working really tightly together with a team till all hours and i think that sense of camaraderie that comes from that is just stuff that like i could pitch for the rest of my life if that's all i did mm. i'd be thrilled i'd be dead as well but um you know the 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 i love pitching um it doesn't really answer your question about tips i suppose what i would say is that especially for young designers go back to the brief work out what they're asking you to do don't come back with something that you think's a good idea if they don't think it's a good idea mm-hmm. you need to make sure that that whatever they've told you you are coming back and giving them a response that works for their business, not just looks cool for you. Um, and I think it's also important that to really go well at a pitch, you need to di- dive deep. You need to go past the surface level of a written brief. You need to understand the audience. You need to go and experience the brand and how it, c- it communicates in the outside world or behaves. Mm-hmm. You need to understand what the competition's doing. Uh, you need to really work out what is that different thing that they can be doing and find a really beautiful way to communicate that. Um, and that's hard and that takes a lot of good people around you in many respects on a pitch. But if you're doing it on your own, try and keep it simple and clear. Try and draw that line, make the bridge between problem and solution. And, um, you know, it's very hard to argue with then. And if they can sense your passion and your love for their business, then it becomes very hard to argue with. So, How much do you give? Is there, is there a point where you say, okay... Too much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you start paying if I tell you the next bit or... No, we're, we're hopeless in that we, um, I suppose, if we're, if we're committing ourselves to a pitch, we don't really, we don't run the meter and, mm-hmm. and we, we sort of know what pitches cost and we know that they cost a lot more than, they, than we'd like. Yeah. And certainly from a brand, in a branding world, I don't think creative pitches make any sense um, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't go there. Uh, when you come to the world of advertising and building solutions for brands, it's an expectation and you know, you'll hear a lot of people say you shouldn't pitch and all of those sorts of things and I completely agree in theory, but I'm also here to make money and try and turn a profit and pay my mortgage and yeah. that requires you to to go all at it and we will often over-invest into pitches with a view that hopefully within year two and three we'll we'll start making a return um you know and that's that's the hard world we live in and it's a shit world we live in and i wish there was a different way but the the truth is there isn't um so if we're going at a pitch we will do everything to prove that we're the people that want it most i think the different Mm. way is the chris laws consultancy yes (laughs) definitely (laughs) chris laws story time yeah storytelling (laughs) with chris laws (laughs) so how how does that so so I mean, we're talking quite a bit about how, you know, some of your methodology, obviously that comes across in, in the born and raised model. I mean, what is, is there, is there a pitch for born and raised in itself? Oh, look, well, there should be, shouldn't there? If we're doing, <laughs> doing what we do. But I think, um, I suppose the, the, the benefit of born and raised is being able to um, really create a really distinctive positioning for a brand. 
and delivering that across everything. Uh, and I think that means that you don't lose that, you know, when you have multiple agencies sitting at the table, so you've got a branding custodian that's defined the brand and worked with with the senior management to define the culture of an organization and the values and the, and the, and the tone that, that the brand goes to market with and it's a central idea. Then you have an advertising agency along that's like fucking design agency. They can piss off. We're going to do what we want to do. <laughs> yep. And there's this friction in the middle where stuff just shakes apart. Mm. And for us, that ability to not only define the sort of foundations of a brand, the things that are going to last and be enduring for hopefully five plus years, but also execute against a marketing plan that's got a you know a short-term horizon where you need to drive spikes in and, and outcomes and results. Yeah. Um, that to us is a great model and one that means that we can we can be all things to a client and be their trusted partner to not only steer their brand and make sure that it's it's behaving consistently but also to make sure that it's it's working hard to deliver against their KPIs which are not about creating a touchy-feely nice brand it's usually about getting bums on seats or selling widgets or yeah. or whatever it might be and I think if you live in a world where it's just about creating a, a nice feeling brand and hopefully it makes people want to work there better and all of those sorts of things that's only half the story for a marketer and you need mm-hmm. to understand their world a little more and do you tend to come back with like multiple directions for, for something um, like you know hey here's, here's what's behind door number A and <laughs> you know or do you come in and go look we've nailed it we're, we're really confident with yeah. this and this is a direction there's, there's you need one to go. problem one solution yeah we're, we're definitely the first so yeah. and it, it actually leads to one of our I think most successful aspects of our business which is Brad's got this great model where we develop territories that are based on a single pure idea. It's the same thing I learned at awards school. I learned territories from you. Right, there we go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, it's, a long time ago. Yeah. It's, it, I know what that means. Yeah, for, for us, rather than um, thinking that there is one solution to anything, which there isn't, um, what we do is um, Brad learned very early that you know designers will often get a brief and they'll just go down a rabbit, rabbit, yeah, rabbit sure. hole for a week with an idea that they haven't necessarily stopped and thought about or assessed against other ideas they might come up with. And so what you end up doing is wasting hours. You've got someone that's come up with this Mm. thing, they're really passionate about it because it's the only thing they've got to hang their hat on. Mm. We come together on it and everyone goes, yeah, it doesn't quite hit the brief. And you've lost three or four days of design resource. Mm. So what we do is 24 to 48 hours is given to the team to just go and explore ideas and thoughts articulate those in a simple message or image and if you can't articulate it in a really simple way then it's probably not an idea mm-hmm. we get together we share those and we consolidate those into three or four territories and we'll get the client in early and i know a lot of people don't necessarily like that idea of, of placing faith in the client to understand it or giving them some control over the direction of what you're going to propose but it works for us and what it does it means that we can come out of a meeting nice and early with the client three or four or five days into the creative process and have one or two directions that we can focus on which gives us a chance of making money because we can just go hard on those directions Mm, make them as great as they can be and everyone wins and the client feels like they're they're being heard and being they're being the involved right so yeah. they're yeah. yeah and so it's kind of you, you're not really doing the like the behind door number 
one, two, or three. It's being you're, facetious, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, but you're, you're also, but you're not just doing the one as well. So yeah. it's kind of in between. Yeah, which is kind of and perfect. it voids the ta-da moment after two weeks where they haven't heard from you, and you go yeah. in and go, check it out. And Hope you guys like purple. Yeah, and and <laughs> and honestly, the the great thing about this, I suppose, the whole thing about born and raised is that we're we've got enough experience to have a really good instincts and you know i operate as a strategist as well as an account service guy as well as a creative alongside brad in many respects as almost as a writer and we'll go into a room together and crack out three territories around a brief in half a day um that we've both pressure tested from both sides of the camp so whatever we're presenting as a strategic thought brad's already decided whether he can work with that as a thought it's not like a strategy team disappears for two weeks comes back with a strategy and says to the creative team here it is hope you like it because the clients approved it yeah. stiff shit if you think you can work with it we're working hand in glove in in developing those yeah. territories and getting to those quickly involving the client and moving on quickly and so is, is brad and the creative team involved in the client side of things as well definitely yeah yeah, yeah. so that's i mean that's the joy of being small is that yeah. they get brad and i on out on projects and you know brad loves loves that it's part of why we did what we did was to get close to clients and solve problems for clients and hear it from them firsthand and present it to them firsthand and mm-hmm. have that tighter relationship um that you can come you kind of lose as you get bigger with more layers yeah hmm. so i want to take us right back um so the first time i met you was we were on a panel uh, for something that Flynn actually set up, which was the future of design education. You sure, it right? wasn't the the bearded men symposium. <laughs> I think uh, denim I think shirts anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> we made we made the horrible horrible mistake of having all men on a panel. Yes, which right. was really bad, and, got- and and everybody except for one person had a beard. Yes, and it was a huge mistake, and, we got, and I'm we, still very sorry we about got that because that's my fault. For that straight away. So <laughs> yeah. the good thing is I could hide behind everybody, and yeah. you guys were up on stage, but it was completely my fault. <laughs> yeah, but sorry about the that. question I want to ask: so, so that's what, like, over five years ago now. Yeah, so, so we were young and naive. It's quite a while. Do you think that the education industry, particularly the creative ed- education industry, has improved in that time? Um, I don't know that I. I think it's improved, but then I, I don't think, even when I was on that panel, I, I, look, what I do, I'm not super close to it. You've got to recognize that I'm the guy dealing with the clients, managing account service teams, dealing with strategy, and I've got Brad and Jordan and the other people in my team, I suppose, looking at portfolios and that sort of stuff. So even on that panel, I felt slightly like an imposter because I felt like I, I wasn't able to give that richer feedback around what people are looking for and all of those sorts of things. But on a, on a bigger level, it does matter to me. And, um, you know, Flynn and I first met uh, working on Tractor, yep. um, something that I was really passionate about and absolutely loved and thought was exactly what the design industry needed. The reason that I think it was great um, and lament its loss is because... It was great. Um, what it was to me was kind of the award school of design. It was taking design theory and um, putting it into the real world and asking people in the real world to become educators. So it was closing that gap. Um, We've worked with um, a couple of clients in the education space. So, you know, I need to in a way be careful what I say, but we've got KVB, Brad and the team did an amazing rebrand of that um, late last year. 
they're a great business and part of what they do is um, they actually give people the opportunity to work in studios firsthand. So it's it's part of the curriculum. Um, another one is Martin College, um, or Martin as it now is, that has a graphic design studio. Um, but I don't think anyone has come at it with a clean sheet approach like Tractor did where it starts industry first. Everyone talks it and everyone tries to bring it in. Mm. But I don't think there's a level of industry cons- consultation and involvement that, that I think Tractor had. And I think that if if some some of these um, design educators can look to that and work out how to bring that in, I think there's a very, very willing community of senior practitioners in this space that are very, very happy to help out. I, for one, I, I, I really loved working with mm. Tractor. Um, and it was an absolute thrill to, to help people along their way. And uh, for me, I don't see... Even we caught up, um, well, we did 2020 uh, last year for AGDA and caught up with a few people that were grads coming through that had, that had taken the time and paid money to sit with 20 people from the, from the creative industry and ask questions. So they were a bunch of people that had demonstrated their passion and interest in being part Super of the engaged, industry. Yeah. Yeah. And talking to them, a lot of them felt like they hadn't got from their courses what they felt they needed. Um, a lot of people felt like they were learning magazine layout and, you know, yeah. design and not necessarily truly understanding brands or brand strategy. And I think that, you know, obviously that's m- my area of focus and passion, but I think that the thing about brands is that you need to understand them because that everything you do is contributing to those and it actually helps you define whether your work's right or wrong. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to understand that, that brand theory. Um, but I think that connection to industry is hugely important. And you only have to see things like General Assembly and stuff that's happening here at where we're, where we're recording at WeWork. Yeah. That, that kind of more, I suppose, casual, direct contact with industry, that sort of education yeah. um, where it's kind of it's less structured but it's more real world. I think it's actually what the generations coming through are just so tuned into and kind of expect. So for me, that would be a better way of, of educating. It, it, it goes back to, I, I'm a real believer in that kind of needs-based thing. Like if you have a need for, so so let's, let's give an example. We're, we're doing a piece of design work and we're like, oh, I don't actually know how to do that. And we go on YouTube and we've got this needs kind yep. of uh, to, to find this thing and we find it within seconds and we learn it. And I think if education can take on more of that kind of stuff where it is casual, you're working on something and then as you need something, yeah. you're able to get yeah. what you need straight away. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that's when it's going to work. But that also brings me to another thing um, that I think people need to understand. And this is this is me be, being a kind of grumpy old man. But I think that there's a lot of people that come out as graduates and assume that they're experts. And yeah, I think that that's a real danger as well. Um, uh, you know, one of the things this I... Is, this is the creative director kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was talking to a, a, an industry uh, mate, someone you guys know very well. And uh, he was talking about someone that someone he knows knows that had come straight out of school and was um, calling themselves a brand consultant. And... <laughs> You know, you don't you don't become an expert by doing a course. You actually become sure. an expert from failing. You can't become an expert from all the learnings that that come over time. And you'll know when you're an expert. There is a moment when you go, "Hang on, I've, I've got this." Um, and 
I think once upon a time, I would have, you know, when I'd done my Shillington College course, I was naive to think, oh, I should go and just start a design design company. That design company would have been shit compared to the one (laughs) that I'm now running now with the benefit of working at a place like Moon, surrounded by the best minds and the best strategists and the best creatives and uh, experience of seeing how things can be done by the best. And Mm. if you come out and you believe you, you have all the answers... Um, you're going to limit your growth. And I think that it's really important for people coming through that they recognize that education is a part of it, but real-world experience is is hugely important to to go from potential to excellence. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think it start. you know, I don't think your career starts when you start your course. I think it starts when you finish your course. Well, you yeah, know, it's in, like in a way. Whole, yeah. you know, most yeah. courses because that's, your, that's when you start. That's day yeah. one. That's, yeah. you know... I like to think that your career starts when you start that course. That would be ideal. That would be ideal. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. If it's giving you experiences and giving you a chance to find yourself as you're going through that course, then your career is starting in a way, but Mm. you're certainly not getting paid for it at that point in time. That's right. Well, we always used to try to treat designers as, you know, as designers from day one, you know, I think it's a good mentality to get, to get into, but even the best courses, even courses I've been very proud of and been involved in um, that, you know, place people in fantastic positions are just over the moon and they're like still it was a shock <laughs> you know yeah. it was, it's still pretty shocking yeah you know where i am and you know it was everything got me here but still this is yeah. like all right forget everything you learned yeah it was good and that's better than the other stuff but forget that we're going to teach you our way yeah teach you our style teach yeah. you about our clients and our market and our attitude and our angle yeah. towards all these things yeah i was just gonna that's the beauty of the the industry is that, that everyone is kind of doing slightly a different thing and, yeah. and and trying to find a different way to kind of answer answer the problems. Yeah. yeah. I mean for me what I loved about Tractor as well was that it was teaching young designers the importance of strategy. Um yeah. now well, I you were to, teaching our Well, which is hilarious cuz <laughs> cuz you know as we've talked about tonight I don't consider myself a strategist. Um I I do now. I think I, now that I'm running Born and Raised and I don't have a strategy team behind me, I am actually now <laughs> oh, a strategist. That's and, me. And, Congratulations. And, <laughs> thanks, yeah, I thought you were a strategist back then. <laughs> so good. But there's people that are better strategists than I, like Dave Moffat that I used to work with at Moon is just sure. a freak. And I, I think it's, I don't know, I, when, when they've been doing it for years and I've been being an account service guy and a pitcher and all of those sorts of things, as well as doing that a bit, a bit on the side, you know, it takes away a little bit of what they do. So they take it to another level. But the fact is the level of strategy that I was probably teaching was right for a student where Absolutely. it was giving them the principles and giving them a real world, real world strategy, which is what I think I, I give. It's not yeah. about proving how clever you are with different models and how many pages in your deck. It's about mm. creating something that creatives can work with, giving yep. them a, 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 a paddock to play in um, across a much bigger world mm. yeah. um, so that they can can really lock in on what they need to be doing. And I think that... I, th- I think Tractor gave them a really solid grounding on what the importance of strategy. And, Absolutely. And how, um, you know, if you, if you can define the world in which this brand or this brief needs to play, that it leads to much better work. But I can guarantee from, like, even personal experience, just specifically talking about that, it was all new to me. So the first the first time I the first time I ever came there and heard you and and um and Day and Ayumi and you yeah. know, everyone, it was it was mind blowing. I was thinking, what? Like that makes so much sense and it's very very simple. But when you started applying it to the projects, that's when every the gears start clicking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the practical. Okay, so here's what we're talking about. 
And here's an example of how we did it here. Yeah. And here's another example of how we did it here. And you're kind of like, what? Like, wow. Like, those are yeah. totally different projects. It's totally different clients. Always that kind of thing of knowledge transfer and then the yeah. context. Do you know what that is? How this actually works. That's storytelling, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love the narrative. <laughs> Can I ask one more question? Okay, sure. Because I always got to get one more in. So, you wanted to be an architect. Yes. So, is, are we going to see born and raised architecture? <laughs> born and raised architecture is awesome. Do you know, but you have to be an architecture company and also a demolition company. <laughs> Do you know what? Can I just really quickly talk about that? I've, I've learned that architecture is far more complicated than, than you think. But we are very fortunate at the moment to be working on a, an amazing new whole section of Sydney. And we're working really tightly with architects on that. And I have nothing but amazing respect for Is what they're this doing. Is the Facebook post that you... It, was it Jess Scully you were interviewing? Maybe. Yeah, look, we, we work... That, that particular project I can't talk about in detail. Um, oh. It's not launched publicly, but I can say it's the most exciting thing I've ever worked on in my oh, career. leave us... And it's, wow. and it's... Honestly, it's been incredibly fulfilling. So, and how, how can people find... Out more then so when you are ready we'll we'll let the world know on our facebook page so okay. check that out um but it's going to be it's going to be huge for sydney it's very exciting especially for the world of creative wow Ooh, yep. damn all right hmm. well so, so we'll all wait when, with bated breath when when, when? Uh, i'm not sure not sure oh. can't tell you anymore <laughs> okay cool well that's good that's great that takes us to the end of the the episode um Thanks, so guys. what we usually do is we go around the table just to find out where would you like to point people website facebook wherever you like where can people find out more about you and also born and raised okay so we have a a website born www.born-raised.com.au but it's one of those typical agency placeholder sites it's got a bit of work on it but not enough we're working on that, the eternal response. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, our Facebook page is a pretty good way of keeping in touch, as is our Instagram. So, um, go to go to Born and Raised on Facebook or Instagram, and uh, I think it's Born and Raised Agency for Instagram, and you'll uh, cool. we keep that pretty up to date. Great. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes anyway. Fantastic. People can check it out. Matt, Instagram still on the internet. Instagram this time. Yeah. No way. Screw Twitter. All right, he's always, yeah, okay, screw Twitter. All right, where so can people find you? It's Matt underscore Leach, L-E-A-C-H on, on Instagram. The good Leach, not the bad Leach. Yeah. Haven't said that yet this year. Um, <laughs> and you can find me on pretty much everything um, at Flynn Tracy. And you can find this episode and more at ausdesignradio.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at AUSDesignRadio. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you, guys. That Thank was you. awesome. Cheers. Cheers.